This is Tea on the Hudson, a news and lifestyle podcast where we're spilling all of the Hudson County tea and more. My name is Jen Trapuka. I'm the founder of HobokenGirl.com and a Hudson County resident. On this show, we share news, lifestyle topics of interest, interviews, and have guest Hoboken Girl contributors on to delve into the things that matter to local residents. This week, our main story is going to be our water in Hudson County, with one of our Hoboken Girl contributors asking the question, is it safe to drink? Later in the show, we'll have a self-care segment from Danielle, one of our other Hoboken Girl contributors. And each week, we'll be trying a new locally brewed coffee or tea on air to share. So send in your picks, and if you have a really stellar one, we might just try it on the show. This week, we're sipping on a sparkling, sexy matcha. Yes, that is the actual name from Sober Shot in Jersey City. And it's a really unique concept because its founder, Stella Lin, she's a native to Taiwan, made this because she thought that Americans really liked sparkly things and also loved things that you could take photos of. And so it's coffee made sparkling with a seltzer soda gun and then they do a white top, which is a mix of whole milk, condensed milk, and heavy cream. It's really, really good. You definitely want to try it. And if nothing else, it's an experience because you're drinking seltzer and coffee. So grab your favorite mug and let's get started with our news. A medical marijuana dispensary is coming to Jersey City. The plan was approved last month for the facility and it'll be located on Edward Hard Road. Its owners, Nuka Properties, are aiming to start construction in 2020. And FYI, it's still not legal to use recreational marijuana in New Jersey. A couple living in the Rivington Apartments in Hoboken made headlines after a maintenance worker from the building was caught on camera snooping through their underwear drawer. CBS News aired the video footage, and if you haven't seen it, Google it. It'll definitely make you want to get an apartment camera. Since the couple had put in a maintenance request to fix a leak in their closet, they couldn't really press charges because the man had the right to be there, but they did report it to the police, and since he didn't steal anything, it's not a crime. But reps for the Rivington did say the worker has since quit. Cashless tolls are coming to Port Authority's Hudson River Crossing, so drivers and commuters sitting on buses, of course, no longer have to wait in long lanes on the way through the Lincoln Tunnel and Holland Tunnel. I think I can speak for everyone when I say hallelujah, except for the 12% of people who don't have easy pass. According to reports, though, the system may not be up and running till 2021 when the MTA's congestion pricing kicks in. So plenty of time to purchase your EasyPass stat. Jersey City announced it's expanded its closed-circuit camera system, adding 58 new cameras for a total of 214 cameras citywide. They're hoping these new cameras will help with crime and allow for images clear enough to identify and track suspects. Hoboken Police Chief Ken Ferrante announced that the Mile Square's overall crime rate has dropped 29.4% in 2019. Compared to last year at this time, this is a 12.8% improvement from 2018 stats, which is a really good thing. Another win for commuters, we hope. Port Authority has launched a $1 billion plan to add capacity, reduce delays, and enhance our experiences traveling the path. 
$50 million of this budget will go toward reducing delays on the path for things like signal issues, switching car equipment failure, track conditions, sick passenger response times, and unattended bags. They aim to fully implement this in the next 30 months. So stay tuned. We'll keep our fingers crossed. (laughs) And now for some local openings and closings in our area. Lululemon opens in Hoboken on Friday, August 23rd at 313 Washington Street. The new store's manager, Julia, confirmed the opening date with our team. I think I can speak for athleisure lovers all over Hudson County when I say we're super excited. Milk and Cream is opening in Jersey City at 175 Newark Ave. If you like cereal, you're going to love this. They take a regular ice cream cone and flip it on its head, and then they also serve bowls of cereal with any topping you could ever imagine, and of course, milkshakes. The popular downtown Jersey City spot, Tall Day, known for its unique Filipino food and Saturday drag brunches, has officially closed its doors. The restaurant posted an image to its Instagram account that announced the closing, and it's worth it to mention that the speakeasy below Tall Day, Miss Wong's, is also now closed. It's a huge space, so it'll be interesting to see what comes in there. Carol Texador of Squeezed Juice Bar in Bayonne is opening another venture, Bayonne Yoga Studio in, you guessed it, Bayonne. (laughs) It's located at 494 Avenue C. Acme Supermarket has announced its Weehawken stores closing. The supermarket has several other locations still open in the area, but the Weehawken store will be closing this fall. Whole Foods did just open a few weeks prior right in the area, so not saying they're related, but just saying. Hoboken's getting two new ramen spots, Muteki Ramen, which is opening at 533 Washington, right next door to Peaky Poke, which also recently opened. In Uptown Hoboken, Shokudo is opening right next to the post office on 14th Street. Safe to say, we'll be very set with ramen spots for the colder months this year. One of our favorite meal delivery services in Hudson County, Busy Bee Organics, which you may recognize from farmer's markets locally, has opened a brick and mortar in the heights of Jersey City. The storefront, which is at 451 Palisade Avenue, will have a grab-and-go menu, baked goods, all different types of things, most of them being vegan and gluten-free. And if you haven't tried the food, you must. Congrats to Michelle and her team. Our sponsor this week is Bang Cookies, a cookie company located in Jersey City Heights. Now, if you haven't tried these cookies, let me just tell you, wholly amazing. They're huge, delicious, and made with all organic ingredients. Honestly, probably some of the best cookies I've ever had in my life. You can get 20% off your first online cookie order from Bang Cookies using the code HOBOKENGIRL. That's bangcookies.com and use the code HOBOKENGIRL. Plus, they deliver to Hoboken and Jersey City. So next time you've got a cookie craving, use the code HobokenGirl for 20% off your first online cookie order from Bang Cookies. For our feature for this episode, there's a question that we are always curious about living in Hudson County, and it's been on the minds of many residents, including myself. The topic... Is this water safe to drink? With the recent findings of lead in some Newark water and the attention that 
the water has gotten on Twitter. It actually came to our attention from a recent Twitter storm in Hoboken with Suez, New Jersey, where a resident of Hoboken tweeted a photo of his filter for his apartment that was filthy reddish brown after just one month of use. Ironically, that situation actually happened in my building, so it piqued my interest even more so into our water systems and what we're actually drinking. And lucky for us, we have Steph here today, who is one of our news writers for Hoboken Girl. Welcome, Steph. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Water is one of my favorite topics to yes. talk about, so obviously I'm happy to be here. I know. So, yeah, what's your what's your take on water, period, just, you know, in general? Yeah, so... I'll preface this by saying I'm obsessed with water. Um, I'm obsessed with all things health-related, really. So I care about water. I care what's in my water. Um, I like researching it. I've researched bottled water all the time to see what's the best for you to drink. I personally only drink alkaline water um, because some people think that the health benefits are, you know, there's there's more nutrients in mm-hmm. alkaline water. But that kind of that came from like a while of researching water and learning more and more about it and what's in it. But some people in Hoboken and myself included, I use tap water for well, showering dishes, yeah. my dog bowls. I use it to fill up my water bottle from the fridge. So what can people know about our water supply? What what did you start researching? So I think um, I think the most important thing is to just like question right um rather than just like accepting information i'm always like but what does that mean so um by by deciding to look into water and learn more about it um i have you know a lot of questions i want to know where my water comes from what it's treated with what it's tested for ultimately you know is this the safest thing to drink right and basically we asked those questions of suez So I asked you to look into our Hudson County water supply and just find out more about our water for tap water and all the things that we use on a daily basis as residents here. And tell me about the process. What happened? So I came up with a list of questions. Um, I did some digging. I looked at, you know, consumer confidence reports. And I even reached out to representatives from Suez Water basically wanting to know what we all want to know, which is where does our water come from and is it safe to drink? Yeah. And I think we we really looked into so much and we asked them a lot of questions and then they actually invited us to check out their plant. I'm so jealous you got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was quite an adventure. It's actually a plant that's in Booton, New Jersey, and there's a huge reservoir and dam And they gave me a full tour, and I was very surprised and excited that they wanted us to come and and check it out. So here's a little bit about what happened that day. I was lucky enough to to speak with a Suez rep, Jonathan, who shared a ton of information. And so here are some clips that you'll hear. The first one is about where our water comes from. My name is John Horancic. I'm the project manager for uh, Jersey City and Hoboken. And we are responsible for the operation of the uh, Jersey City system and the Hoboken system. We uh, operate the dams, uh, the water treatment plant in Booton, the aqueduct, and the distribution system in Jersey City and the distribution system in Hoboken. 
Um, yeah, well, and thanks so much for, you know, allowing me to come. I really do appreciate it. Tell me about the source of water for Hudson County. Water for, for, uh, uh, for Jersey City and Hoboken starts with the, uh, from the Boudin Reservoir. And uh, the um, other reservoir is the Split Rock. And the, the water uh, from Boudin is treated into a conventional, what is called a conventional water treatment plant. Uh, and the processes uh, include uh, coagulation, filtration, sedimentation, and chlorination. So what's really interesting is that you don't think of your water in Hudson County coming from somewhere nice and far out there. I mean, it's in a beautiful reservoir. There were trees. It was it was very pleasant, uh, I will <laughs> say, checking it out. Of course, uh, you know, I, I really thought that it was coming from like the Hudson River or something. I had no idea. So I'm pretty happy to know that it's not. But um, <laughs> one interesting tidbit that I found from that uh, when Jonathan was explaining it is that Hoboken and Jersey City are the only ones sourced from that Suez plant. But other towns such as Weehawken, Bayonne, et cetera, those have different service providers for where they get their water. So if they have issues, they can't go to Suez because that's not their provider. That's so interesting. I never would have thought that. I know, because you think of Hudson County as one entity and, yeah. and that everyone's kind of in the same boat, but nope, lots of different boats. <laughs> lots of different boats. So next we talked about how the water was filtered and what the process was to actually clean the water. Because, of course, yeah, water can come from a beautiful place, but what are they actually doing to it to make it safe for us? So I asked, how was it cleaned and what, what are we ingesting? And here's the clip. The water coming out of the reservoir, if you, if you took a glass of water out of it, it looks like a very light tea color. That light tea color is called colloids. They're basically microscopic particles that will never settle out. So what happens is they come into the plant and we add um, a, a, a coagulant. The coagulant chemical uh, causes those colloids to come together. When you were at the coag uh, coagulation basin, you probably noticed some little particles floating around. Okay, those are colloids that have been, that come together. Mm -hmm. When they get together, they also become very heavy okay. and over, and then they settle out at the bottom of the sedimentation basin. But the sedimentation basin itself cannot remove all of them. So then they have to go into the filter to remove the rest of them. We have a, a, a standard for turbidity at 0.3. Turbidity is um, cloudiness of the water. And so, so that's 0.3 is That's 0.3 is the standard. We, we keep it at 0.1. Oh, okay. So it so, should be clearer. Right, Got it. exactly. After the filters, it goes into the wet well. And then the wet well then goes into, uh, is chlorinated before it goes into the aqueduct. And then it goes all the way down to Jersey City and Hoboken by gravity. So yeah, the cleaning part is so interesting because there's several parts to it. It goes through, it's almost like what they call the coffee strainer of, of uh, it takes out a lot of the things that are organic and inorganic compounds that hmm. coagulate. And they called it a term called sludge, which sounds pretty gross. Yeah, not cute. <laughs> <laughs> and sludge is essentially like, it looks like dirt. The The plant manager showed me it looks, you know, in his hand. It's it's not something you can't touch. It just Ugh, looks like gross. dirt. But it's out of the water at least. <laughs> so, so gross. But yeah, yeah, you're right. We're not drinking it. Right. That's the so point. It gets out of the water. And then we talked about... Uh, testing for the water. And that is the thing after cleaning, because of course you can clean the water, but then you also have to test for what's 
in it. Uh, and before I share this clip of Jonathan, I'd love to hear, because I know you looked into a lot of the testing of the water in the Consumer Confidence Report. And I, what did that show you? Yeah, so... Mainly what I found from the the report is um, we know that Suez is responsible for testing the water really frequently, right? Like they are required to test it quarterly and then submit those quarterly reports to the state. They compile them annually, but, you know, it's being tested more frequently than that. Sure. Um, the most important thing I think that we should all take away is Hoboken's water is in compliance with the government's health standards, right? So that's really important. And Jersey City. Don't worry, guys. And Jersey City. <laughs> Sorry about the rest of Hudson County. You're going to have to talk to your own service provider. <laughs> We're not sure about that. Um, but basically what that means is our water is in compliance for levels of things like lead, copper, barium, chromium, nickel, chlorine, amongst other things. Um that just means that the levels of each of those are low enough to meet the requirements of the state. That being said, you know, I personally, I take it with a grain of salt. I think it kind of begs the question of are these state standards up to snuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, like water can be in compliance, the levels can be low enough, but um, are those standards actually rigorous enough? There's one more super interesting thing I noticed in all the available CCRs, and that is... 2019, 2018, and 2017 are the ones I looked at. That's that Suez waives its right to test for asbestos and something called synthetic organic chemicals in our water. The right to waive those tests is allowed under the Safe Drinking Water Act. And it basically says in the consumer report that Suez chooses not to test for these contaminants because it doesn't believe that we're susceptible to them. So kind of like if you're, we talked about it a little bit, like if you're eating from a plastic plate, it can't rust because totally. it, it's the same as a pipe that doesn't have the possibility of having asbestos because the pipe isn't that type of material. Exactly. That's like the perfect analogy for it. It's not susceptible to that kind of thing. So they just, they waive the test for it, basically. Got it. Now we're going to listen to Jonathan talk about the process of testing. We're required under the Safe Drinking Water Act to test for a variety of uh, parameters. We collect uh, any number of samples in the system. Uh, we collect 60 samples for coliform in Hoboken uh, on a monthly basis. It's required, and we report that to the state. Uh, we collect disinfection byproducts quarterly uh, at specific locations in the city. Again, it's all based on DEP's uh, criteria, and the criteria is approved by the state. We take uh, samples from metals and lead and copper, uh, and a whole host of other, other parameters that are required under the law. We meet all those drinking water parameters uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, the Consumer Confidence Report contains data from the previous year where there is a detect. What I mean by detect is the level has been detected but not exceeded. And that's usually purported in the CCR. The Safe Drinking Water Act really is at this, uh, quality at the tap. That's that's the fundamental uh, okay. uh, so uh, fundamentals really of the safe drink. Yeah. We do monitor here, right. but by and large, all the sampling testing is done in this distribution system, and we do process control here to see where right, we're at, right. so that we can better control the chemical feeds and right. uh, filtration and so forth. So then the water is tested at the plant, and then it makes its way from the Booton area down to Jersey City, and it gets to Troy Street in Jersey City, which is the epicenter, and it goes to all the different uh, distribution pipes that are throughout Hoboken and Jersey City. It's then tested at those distribution pipes, is what Jonathan shared with me. 
And the testing seems like it's the crucial piece because they were mentioning that they can test in the distribution pipes, but really the service line is the variable here Hmm. because the service line is where your building comes into play. It depends on where you live. So if your pipes are old and your service line is old in your building, that's going to affect your water quality versus the water that's coming through the pipes before it gets to your building. So it's an interesting concept. Yeah, that's that's so interesting to me because it's like the water plant can do only so much, right? But then it has to like make its way to you. And there's so many variables that can happen on its way to you, to your tap. Right. So it's really confusing. I hate to sound like we don't have an answer and we kind of do. But uh, I think the the one thing I found really interesting was that they check for lead at the plant and all of the other tests that they run. And then they check for all of these things at the distribution pipes, which are throughout the city. And then they pick 30 spots that are designated by the state in the area. And these are actually homes that they check inside the homes throughout the year for lead. And according to Jonathan, here's what he said about the lead situation and what what is the appropriate levels. The lead in in the systems are essentially from the service lines from homeowners. It's a customer issue. The customer owns the service line from the house all the way out to the main. And the intent of the the, uh, lead and copper rule was to address uh, lead inside the home relative to the service line. And that's how the regulations are established, so that anybody with a lead service line is a tier one category, and those get sampled. Uh, We have a sampling pool that we use on a regular basis uh, to report to DEP. Uh, In Hoboken, we're required to take uh, 30 samples uh, every year uh, from, from locations that have been approved by the state. And then uh, we, uh, 10% of those can exceed the 15 milligram per liter level of lead, but we have to maintain 90% of those samples below the 15 milligrams per liter actual level. Are you allowed to share which 10% is exceeding? <laughs> their, their customer, well, we, we deal with the customers directly. Okay. Uh, the customers, so they won't be aware. We report to the customer all the results after they're available from the lab. And, uh, and we provide them with guidance in terms of what they can do. They can replace their service line, they can take a resample, we give them names of laboratories, they, I give them my phone number, they call me and I will help them, uh, guide them along in terms of dealing with the lead service line. I have residents asking me, is Brita sufficient? Is what should I be doing in my home? To, because of course the water seems clean, mm-hmm. but then the pipes may not be, so what can they do if they live in an apartment building and you know they want to use the water in their shower and just to drink or whatever mm-hmm. it is you know what can they do well what they could do is uh, instead of taking the first draw from this the, from the faucet whether it's in the kitchen or the bathroom let it run for about a minute or until the water temperature cools then you'll know that you uh, the water is is not going to have a, a lead in it in most cases people don't have lead they're on the, on, on, they do happen on occasion. Lead comes from brass pipe, brass fittings, uh, lead solder in the, in the home, uh, also the service lines uh, in the building. That's where the lead is coming from. 
So when you run flush uh, your tap for a period for a minute or so, that will then reduce the probability. So as scary as it sounds, acceptable lead levels are a thing, and it's something that is government regulated. So there are standards, and they totally abide by them. So they're really doing what they can, and it just depends on what's in your service line. So. Everybody talk to your landlords and your buildings and ask them what's going on with your service line because that is really seems like the crux of the issue that comes out of your faucet. But I did also ask him about another thing that is often found in water and it's this thing called THMs. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I can't pronounce it, but I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, so it's I can't either. I'm going to try this. I'll butcher it, but it's try trihalomethanes. And THMs, these are the result of a reaction between chlorine used for disinfecting tap water, which Suez does, and natural organic matter in the water. And scarily enough, at elevated levels, THMs have been associated with negative health effects such as cancer and adverse reproductive outcomes. But that being said, there is an acceptable level that is allowed in the water. And here's what Jonathan had to say about that. Well, trilomethanes and haloacetic acids are disinfection byproducts, and uh, they are a function of chlorinating uh, organics. So when you chlorinate an organic, you create these byproducts. Now, in in the winter, the disinfection byproducts are very low. In the, in the summer, when there's organic activity in the reservoir, you've got algae growing, you've got mm-hmm. uh, uh, microorganisms growing, the disinfection byproduct comes goes up a little bit. But the requirement is that we have an average of 80 milligrams per liter for trihalomethanes and 40 for uh, haloacetic acids. Usually we're around 70 okay, but in the summer, but in the winter we're like at 20, that's, 30. That's low though? Yes. Okay. Yeah, what's like, what's alarming? Over 80. Well, even that, yeah, over 80 would be a uh, non-compliance. Okay. And so that is that is in the water, after, like it's allowed to leave the plant with that? Yes. Amount. Okay. And with THMs, from what I've been researching, they may be carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you know about THMs with that? Well, oh. it's, I don't, I'm not a, an expert on, on uh, epidemiology or health. Uh, all I know is that we have a meet a standard and we're, we do meet the standard. Now, if you were living in Hoboken or Jersey City, would you drink the water out of the Absolutely. tap? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I would. I drink it at, at home now. I live in, uh, on the Suez, New Jersey division, the utility division side, mm-hmm. and I drink tap water all the time. So with all the info we found out, and the info from Suez, it really seems like our water is fine. It's, totally fine. <laughs> it's, it's okay. The tap water is okay to drink. But there's an asterisk. Of course. <laughs> because there are things that could be happening in your building, through, with your service line. So it's so important to do some things to mitigate those potential acceptable levels that might be present. Well, thanks for coming in, Steph. And guys, Steph will be back with us next week to talk about part two of is your water safe to drink and she's going to bring some tips to make sure it's the best it can be all right so we have our beauty self-care segment where we chat about all things local and beauty routinely i'll have on contributors who share the scoop on different treatments and spots that you must try 
but also giving their 100% honest opinion about how it was. I'm here with Danielle. She's a Hoboken Girl contributor and lifestyle writer for our site, with an emphasis on beauty, of course. She's a Hoboken resident. And without further ado, welcome, Danielle. Hey, Jen. How's it going? It's good. So we're here to talk about some fun stuff. So each week we'll be sharing something that is an awesome beauty treatment. And I want to hear from you. What is your pick this week? Oh, let me see. I have been loving Downtown Med Spa. Marietta is a fantastic person who has, it's really, a, in my opinion, it's really more of like a one-stop shop for everything. I go there for laser hair removal, for the Vivace uh, microneedler, as well as um, doing hydrofacials as well. So I've been really just diving into all things beauty there and seeing what she can offer me. And it's been great. Yeah, that's awesome. So where is it located, Downtown Med Spa? So Downtown Med Spa is right by, it's actually right by the Grove Street Path, and um, it's on Christopher Columbus Drive, and it's easy to get to from Hoboken, quick quick little ride in, and Marietta offers a variety of services. She has somebody there doing lashes, somebody there doing injections, and then she then does the Vivace microneedler and the hydrofacial and the laser hair removal as well. So tell me about the Vivace treatment. What What is this treatment? I need to know. So the Vivace is actually something that I've been looking into for years. Um, I have pretty bad acne, post-acne scars on my cheeks and have been looking for a way to get rid of them. No amount of serum is really have been, hasn't been working for me. So what I decided to do is do a little bit of research. And I found that microneedling is great because what it does is essentially you're puncturing your skin and your skin goes into hyperdrive to produce and reproduce collagen. So all of those divots and all those hyperpigmentations then are cleared out mm. and your your skin rejuvenates itself in a much quicker process. Plus the addition of serums help it a lot as well. Oh, cool. So how, just for our readers' sake, how much did it cost for one treatment? So I have been doing some research in that realm because it's expensive. And from what I found is anywhere between $1,200, $1,500. Sometimes it's 1000 but at Marriott, Per session. Per session, wow. which is expensive and something that you really have to make a commitment if you want to do it. But at Downtown Med Spa, I found that it was only $600 Ooh. per session, which is a huge, huge deal. That's great. And how many treatments do you need to do if you were doing a whole segment of them? So Marietta told me that I probably would need anywhere between two and three sessions. And my acne scars were pretty deep rooted, but she also I, wants I to. I don't even see it all. <laughs> I so. didn't wear makeup purposely, so you can see. <laughs> but my skin has a great glow. Um, but it's really you're glowing right now. Well, it's thank crazy. You. <laughs> <laughs> For no other reason but the Vivace, I promise. <laughs> but the microneedler is great, and I went in there. The procedure took about, I would say, about an hour. You had to sit. Um, they numb your entire face, which felt kind of crazy. I liked it, though. Yeah. And after then, she went in with the microneedler. It's a tool that kind of looks like a, like a typical laser, and it would penetrate each part of your skin. And she went over every part. It's great for fine lines, for post-acne scars, for discoloration, and anything really, any imperfection on your skin because, it, like I said, it drives your skin into hyper reproduction mode. That's awesome. What is, just really quick before we wrap up this segment, what is the ambiance of Downtown Med Spa? Is it, you know, just tell us about the, the actual space. It's very professional, but it's also comfortable. You go in there and you feel like you're a family. You feel mm -hmm. like you're a friend and she comes and she hugs you and, Aww. you know, you, you walk <laughs> into there and you, you feel like 
this is a great place and I'm happy to be here. And I always look forward to going. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for our beauty segment of the week. Of it's course. great to hear. I'm, so everyone check out Downtown Med Spa. Vivachi is the treatment. It's microneedling. And while it sounds super expensive, it sounds like if you have something with your face that you really need to uh, work on, whether it's acne scars or other types of scarring or pigmentation, it sounds like a great, great option. So Definitely thanks. Is. So our hidden gem this week is Alibaba Restaurant in Hoboken. It's a bit off the beaten path, but kind of on because it's on Washington Street. It's at 912 Washington, and it's really one of those gems in Hoboken that serves authentic cuisine for over 30 years. It's Turkish food, and it's delicious and fresh. And the owner, Ibrahim Abbasi, better known to the locals as Abe, he actually does the cooking and will even serve his customers, which he's been doing for years. The recipes on the menu have been passed down to from his mother to him. It's really a wonderful, wonderful place. And I have a tip for you. Get the hummus, the euros, and the falafel. You won't be disappointed. They also have a really refreshing mint tea, and the Turkish coffee will keep you up for 24 hours, but it's so good. And, of course, it's BYOB. You're welcome. And our Hudson hero this week, Swati Rastogi, she's an artist born in India but lives in Jersey City, and she's been commissioned for the second time by Jersey City to paint the colorful Rainbow Street murals for the Jersey City Pride Festival. But this isn't her first painting rodeo. She created a 24-foot mandala in New York City for the New York City Holy Festival at Governor's Island last year. And she told us about her pride art and what it means to her, and I just had to share with you guys. She said, I am proud to be an Indian artist living in Jersey City who is given the opportunity to paint hundreds of colorful hearts in the heart of the city. She's definitely our Hudson hero this week, and make sure to go check out the artwork on Newark Ave in Jersey City. It's beautiful. And for our Hudson Zero, the maintenance worker at the Rivington in Hoboken. Sniff your own underwear, dude. It's creepy. Our nonprofit feature this week is Waggy Tail Rescue. Waggy Tail Rescue is an all-volunteer, New York City-based animal rescue charity dedicated to the rehabilitation and rehoming of small breed dogs. They actually just rescued a bunch of adorable puppies from Tijuana, which we got to see in Hoboken. And their programs are focused on finding forever homes for animals in urgent circumstances by saving dogs from imminent euthanasia in overcrowded shelters. Head to waggytailrescue.org to donate or check out the available dogs. And that concludes our episode of Tea on the Hudson. Major thanks to our news contributor, Stephanie, guest beauty contributor, Danielle, our production team, Van Voorst Films, and Mike Soul for the music. We'll be spilling the tea every Tuesday morning, so definitely subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Tea on the Hudson on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to send in your tea or coffee suggestions for us to try on air. See you next week for a new episode. 